Growing Deep. That's the series that uh, we're in and we'll be in for a while, emphasizing different things. Uh, Earlier in the series, we asked the question, why? Why go deeper? Isn't it enough that at some point I raise my hand or I bow my head and I say a prayer and I say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Savior? And He does. He comes into our life. He's faithful to, to acknowledge when we say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Savior and that's our first step is just coming to Christ, is, is being able to confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. And that's our act of committing our lives to Jesus Christ. And so that's our, our step into a relationship with Father God is accepting the work of Christ. And so that's so important. And, and many would say, well, isn't that it? Isn't that where th- that it ends is that we just make that decision? And our series on growing deep is an answer to that. It says, that's not it. That's the start of it. That's the start of life in Jesus Christ, but that's not everything there is in Jesus Christ. And so growing deep is this idea that a life that has roots deep in the life of Jesus produces the life that Jesus provides. And by that we mean Jesus wants to provide to us abundant life. That's the words that he used. That's how he described the type of life that he wants to give to every person who confesses his name and puts their faith and trust in him, that he wants to bring in not just a Christian life or a a good life or a nice life. He wants to provide an overflowing life, a life that is just full of the Father's love, the Father's empowerment, uh, discernment, uh, the, the provision that Father God can provide. And so that's what Jesus wants for us. But that doesn't happen with just simply a decision that happens through discipleship. That happens because, not because we step on the path, but because we step on the path and then we walk in the path. We keep walking with Him and discipling with Him. So we want to put spiritual roots deep into the ground. We want to be nurtured and tendered uh, to, to buy our our time with Jesus. In fact, a good way of thinking about it is that we want our life with Jesus to match what we do for Jesus. Our life in Christ to match our doing for Christ. Because if we're doing a lot for God, but we're not actually spending time with Him, our doing is exceeding our being. <laughs> and that's a challenge. That's, that's a problem, actually. Because then we're doing out of our own strength and our own abilities and we're not getting it from the Father. That's exactly what Jesus did is He got what He said and what He did. He said, I do those things because the Father reveals them to me and then I just do those things. Jesus didn't have His own agenda. He didn't have His own plans. He didn't have His own ministry laid out for Him. He said, I do what the Father tells me to do. I say what the Father tells me to say. And so if that was true of Jesus, it should definitely be true of us. If Him being the Son of God and and having authority and knowing, having come from heaven, if He submitted Himself to the Father in that way, boy, how much more should you, how much more should I understand that I have to submit to the Father? I have to have roots that go deep into my life with Him so that I can live out out of that. Well, the, the next part, as we've talked about going deeper, we, we've talked about having this awareness of 
who we are and what God is doing. And the last time we were together a couple of weeks ago, I talked about there can be real fear in that, that, that if, I, if I allow God to go deeper with me, what if He uncovers stuff from my past or about me that I'm uncomfortable with? What if I go deeper with God and it just feels unsafe to me? How do I, how do I deal with that? And, and so we, we spent some time talking about that and just saying, you know, we really don't have a lot of control anyways. Those things, they leak out in our life. Even when we think we put a cap on them, when we have put it behind us, or it's be, if we haven't really brought it to Christ and allowed Him to work deeply in our life and bring healing, and we're, instead we're hiding it from Him or we're just pushing it down, what ends up happening is those areas of our life leak out into other areas. And we're not, we're, we're not able to reflect on hurts and brokenness and, and losses from the past without them causing even greater damage and greater pain to us. Instead of finding an opportunity to see where God has healed us, we see only brokenness and pain. And so when we say we want to we understand what's happening inside of us and bring all of ourself, our past and who we are, what we've done, what's been done to us, all of us comes before the Lord. It's, it's not for morbid introspection. It's not, it's not because we want to live in the past, not at all. We want to live in the fullness of Jesus Christ right now. And the only way that we live in the fullness of the life that Jesus has for us now is if the past doesn't have control over us. If our hurts and our pains don't get to dictate how we think and feel and act in our lives all the time. Instead, when they're surrendered to Him and and when we give the wholeness of our life to Him to be healed, then we get to experience the very thing that Jesus experienced, that fellowship and oneness with the Father. And that doesn't mean we don't grieve anymore. Those things don't make us feel sad or, or, or they don't challenge us. It just means they don't have control over us. Jesus' victory on the cross says that He has ultimate authority, ultimate victory over everything. It's just that we have to bring it to Him. Well, this morning I want us to turn our eyes towards the work of the Holy Spirit in helping us be self-aware. Because I can only go so far with this, and you can only go so far, that there are, there's only so much that we see, but the Holy Spirit, he, he has an ability to work in our lives unlike anyone else. Our, our verse that I want to bring up is John chapter 16. Jesus is speaking to His disciples, and Jesus getting them ready for His crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and then his ascension that he's going to go to the Father. He, he's speaking to them before any of it even happens. And in John 16, it's one of those kind of interactions. I'm sure it just seemed a little bit mystical or not really sure what he was talking about. But it was one of those they just had to lock away until things unfolded, until it was all unveiled. And then they came back to this later and could tell exactly what he was talking about. So John 16, verses 8 through 15, it says this, And when he comes, this is the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. 
He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Isn't that powerful? I mean, just seeing that, it doesn't, I mean, that, if, if you're a follower of Christ, that should just bring such joy to your heart and just fill you with this, this sense of, wow, Jesus is so, was so prepared to go to the Father, the things that he talked about, knowing the Holy, he was going to ascend and he wouldn't be with us any longer, and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I love what Jesus says, verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. He wasn't saying that he's hiding it all from him. He's saying, you don't understand it. I have other things I want to talk to you, but you don't know the future yet, and that the Holy Spirit's going to baptize you. He's going to come upon you and immerse you And you're going to understand things that you just don't understand now. Because the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to take from heaven just as Jesus would say, just as I've been drawing from the Heavenly Father and then giving it to you, now when I ascend to the Father, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you and he's going to say the things that I speak. He's going to take from heaven as well and give it to you. So you don't understand them yet, but but you're going to know them as the Spirit reveals them. So when it comes to our own limitations, my limitations to go deeper into deeper discipleship and to know what's happening in my own heart, there are things that I will deceive myself about. There are things that I will hide away and I think they're just locked away and and nobody else knows and, and they're gone for good, but the Holy Spirit sees them and he'll bring them to the surface so that I can be made whole in Christ, that there wouldn't be any hidden way in me but I would walk in the light even as God himself is in the light. And so that's our invitation this morning. I want to pray as we uh, go deeper into this idea of the Holy Spirit revealing who he is in us and who we are truly. So Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are our teacher. You can say and do things and speak things that, that I, just, I just can't do. Things about people in this room and even myself, Lord, that we don't know, we're unaware of, we've, we've avoided, and, and yet we don't have to be afraid. We're not afraid of you coming to us because of the way that you are with us. You're loving, compassionate. Your, your goal with us is not to harm us and to accuse us, but that we would be free, free, totally free, just set free, and that we would be known and that we would know completely, that there wouldn't be hidden things in our lives, but that we could live freely and lightly. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do that in us now and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The story I want to share is out of the Old Testament. Uh, It's where the prophet Nathan speaks to David. In this encounter, we see a, a, a pattern of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives today. Uh, it's a passage of Scripture. I'm, I'm going to read it for you. It's not going to be up on the board or up on the screens because it's a story, and I want to hear you. I, I want you to be able to hear how it unfolds instead of you be focused on, you know, reading it. If you have a Bible or Bible app and you want to follow along, that's fine. But I, I just really want you to be able to hear this this story. So David, I mean, just to give some backstory to it, David, the king of Israel. Men were off to battle on David's behalf. He's the king. He's telling his men his, uh, to go and fight in battle for him. And while they're away, King, is, uh, king David is, is at his palace. And uh, across the way, 
a woman bathing named Bathsheba. She's bathing at her place, and she catches his eye, to put it mildly. Uh, she catches David's eye, and uh, Bathsheba was a married woman. Her husband, Uriah, he was away fighting. So here's Uriah fighting on behalf of David. David told him to go fight, and so he's out there battling. And uh, David had his servants bring Bathsheba to his chambers, and he sinned against her. He sinned, sinned against her and Uriah. He sinned against uh, Israel, really, and, and, but mostly against the Lord uh, by committing adultery. And so he had this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and then he sent her back to her home. Well, Bathsheba, a little later, sends word to the king, um, you need to know, king, that I'm pregnant. <laughs> and so that's a problem. Problem for you, problem for me. Um, and so Bathsheba, in discovering that she was, she was pregnant, she notifies David. David, not wanting to be caught in this sin, he has the ability to remove soldiers from the battlefield, and he says, I know what I'll do. I've got a good plan. I'm just going to call up to the leader of the army and say, hey, give me Uriah, and I'm going to give him a leave of absence from the war. He's going to get to come home and spend some time with his wife, and then while he's home with his wife, then it will be assumed that this is his child and not my child. So that's exactly what he does. He brings Uriah, sends him back home, but Uriah, an honorable, God-fearing man who loves his brothers in arms, says, I will not... He doesn't know the plan. He doesn't know the secrecy behind all of this. But he just says, I'm not going to be with my wife. While my brothers are battling, then I'm going to stay committed to them. I'm going to lock arms with them. Even though I'm home and I get this breakaway, I'm not going to uh, enjoy being away from that front line. So a very honorable thing of him. Well, that frustrates David, of course. David's plan doesn't work because Uriah doesn't spend time with his wife in the way that David wished he would. And so David has to come up with a new plan, killing Uriah. But of course, as king, who is supposed to love God and serve God, he can't just kill him because that would be frowned upon. So what he does to his leaders of the army, he says, take Uriah and put him where the fighting is the fiercest and the battle is the worst, and where most certainly he will die. And we want, I, I want him to be placed right up at the front where the battle is the worst. And so the commander of the army does that. Uriah is sent to the front lines, and he is killed. And so now David, his plan this time works out for him. So he brings Bathsheba into uh, his, his place, and, and now he feels like it's, it's all okay because... He's covered up his, his sin. So, we pick up this story here, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Bathsheba's in David's house. It's, it's been, you know, roughly a year. It's been some amount of time that's passed. And Nathan the prophet comes to his king, comes to King David. Nathan the prophet asks for a, a, the presence of David, asks to be able to come before him, and David agrees. And so, Here's Nathan, uh, 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up 
and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come in. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. You get the picture that he's building up here. This man who had something very precious and had taken such close care of it. And this man who had such abundance could have anything he wanted. And instead of taking from his own abundance, he steals away this one single ewe lamb that this man had raised up and was part of their household. Verse 5, it says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man in the story. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. (laughs) That's an encounter right there. That's calling somebody out. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. God sees. David David thinking he's so cunning. He's, he's going to work his way out of this mess, this sin that he had created, this problem he had created. He's going to work his way out of it. And God sends along the prophet and says, David, I know exactly what you've done. And something that David, for a period of time, had thought, it's done. I got away with it. This, this isn't the next week that Nathan shows up to him. This is some time. David is thinking, okay, it, it worked out. I got through this incident of sin, this little hiccup in my relationship with God, and it's past me now. I don't have to deal with it. God sends the prophet Nathan, and he says, we're not done yet. We need to have a discussion about this. It's an intense conversation, and Nathan's life is in the balance, of course, because the king could have had him killed, but fortunately, that wasn't David's response. David, as we know through the Psalms, had a heart that was tender towards the Lord. Even though in this area he had hardened his heart and done what is wrong, he was generally responsive to the Lord, the Scriptures indicate. That he was willing to express and hear from God what what was happening, what, what God's thoughts were, and what God thought about David. David's response actually wasn't to kill Nathan. David's response can be found in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a song. That's what the psalms are, is a, just so you know. The word psalms, they're, they're songs. They're poetic writings, and they're meant to be sung out. And so is Psalm 51, of all things, a song about a king committing adultery and is hiding that sin in his heart. David didn't kill Nathan, the prophet. He didn't turn away from God. He didn't uh, bring out his wrath on those around him. Instead, he wrote a song about what was wrong with his own heart. Let me read it for you. Psalm 51, it begins with this, a heading that was often 
put on some of the psalms, kind of musical notes as to how it's supposed to be addressed. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls, will be offered in your altar. This is David's response to him being called out by Nathan the prophet. He says, Oh God, you know what is so broken within me. You see what's in my heart. You see the ways that I'm crooked and darkened of heart. Nothing is hidden from you. We can suppress what's beneath the surface. Or we can invite the Holy Spirit to do His work. The Holy Spirit is the prophet Nathan a hundred billion times over. (laughs) He is so aware of what's in your life and He's able and gentle and, and willing to bring it to the surface in your life. So that, like David, if there's things in your life that you thought were behind you, that nobody saw that, but that doesn't matter. It's past now. It, 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 we can just move on from here. The Holy Spirit is so gracious and gentle to say, is that how you want to really live this life? Or do you want life to be completely open? Do you want the freedom that comes from walking in complete and total fellowship with your Heavenly Father? Because if that's what you want, if that's your passion, is to know God and be known by Him with no secrets, then the pathway for that is for the Holy Spirit to be welcomed into your life and for you to say, Holy Spirit, search me, know me. See if there's anything in me that is bent, wicked, or crooked. Anything that would keep me from knowing the Father. He is faithful to do that for us. Let me bring up this point and then a couple things that could maybe help us with our own stuff, just like David dealt with his things. Self-awareness is the process whereby the Holy Spirit opens our hearts to what is true about us. 
Again, I started out by saying, I, I really don't have, I mean, self-awareness is nice to an extent. <laughs> it's good to know about myself and to be self-aware. In fact, it, when, I, when I worked for a learning and development group um, a few years ago, that was one of the key things that they said was, was a must-have for every leader. A leader that lacks self-awareness is, is going to not go very far. But that's true of all of us. If you don't have self-awareness, you're going to harm your relationships. You're not going to understand how you come off to people. You're not going to understand why people struggle to have conversations with you, or you're not going to understand why it is that you feel betrayed by people all the time. If, if we lack self-awareness, we, we don't really know what's kind of happening and how stuff is happening around us. But when we're self-aware, it kind of helps in those relationships. And it, and it helps us to grow. It helps us to, to learn where we need to, to work and to grow. But the reason I say I have some value for that is because that's, that's good. That's helpful. You don't, you don't want to, I don't want to be a jerk to people and, and think that I'm the greatest guy ever when really people don't receive me that way. So self-awareness is good. But that only goes so far. That, that's, that's not the entire purpose of the Holy Spirit bringing self-awareness. The Holy Spirit brings self-awareness not so that we can just be really nice people and good friends. The Holy Spirit brings self-awareness of what's happening in you so that you can know God and you can be totally known and recognize that you're not hiding from anything or anyone. The Holy Spirit brings self-awareness of what's happening inside of you, who you are, and He doesn't want us to live with hidden sin or, or, or hiding ourselves from others so that we can be totally free. That's a much higher purpose than just being a nice man or woman or son, daughter, brother, sister. Those are all good things, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be that. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit has a greater purpose even yet than that. It's to reveal to us what's happening in us in ways that our actions are keeping us from the Father. So, when we have attitudes to people, against people, or for certain people, the Holy Spirit is so good if, if we just say, boy, I'm really angry at that person, or I have a certain bias towards that person. Holy Spirit is so good if we turn to Him just to say, and do you know why that is? Do you know what it is in you that allows that person to provoke you? Do you know what's in you that allows that person to make you feel so insecure and so insignificant? The Holy Spirit is so faithful to be able to get into those places of our lives where He can just bring it up to the surface and we can go, oh, <laughs> I've wondered why I've been so captive to that. I wonder why I've given so much control or authority for somebody else's opinion over me and so fearful of what they think about me. And so that the Holy Spirit can begin to surface those things in our life and reveal to us what's in our heart, our attitudes and our appetites. When we hide things, when, when we take an approach of hiding, the Holy Spirit wants to expose who we are so that we're, we're not in living in fear. We're not living with things hidden in our lives. I always think about with kids, because kids are um, a great, great picture for us. I know I just talked about Nathan and David, but... Uh, you, you, want a, you want a good picture of probably what we look like 
before God when we try to hide stuff. Because I, I remember um, in, in a house that we had in Kansas City, it was a split-level home. The kitchen was on the, the main level, the bedrooms upstairs. And then downstairs was a um, kind of a playroom, laundry room. And uh, you had to go kind of past the kitchen and the main room if you were coming, you know, of course, from the playroom or, you know, to get up to the bedrooms. Well, um, I, I'm not going to name any of my kids' names, but <laughs> what would happen is they would be coming from downstairs, down in the basement, and they'd have to kind of come into this main level and then make their way upstairs. But if they had something they didn't want us to see, they would have something like behind their back and they'd kind of walk this way and they'd walk up the step this way and then they'd see us and they'd kind of smile and we'd say, hey, what you doing? Nothing, I'm just, just, going, just going up to my room and then just kind of dart upstairs really quick and uh, take off. Nothing conspicuous at all, right? <laughs> it would always like bring up this, you know... Uh, What's behind your back, right? That's, <laughs> you're not very good at this hiding thing, you know. Uh, there was five cookies. Now there's two gone. Who had them? I don't know. I don't know who had them. They just disappeared, right? So we laugh with kids because they haven't learned the skills of deceit. They haven't learned the skills of good deception and, and hiding things. But as we get older... We're a little more skilled at those things. We know a little bit better how to hide stuff. <laughs> but don't you want to laugh? Because God the Father looks at us and he's like, what do you got there? <laughs> what are you kind of hiding in that heart there that you think nobody sees? You want to bring that before me? You want me to be able to see that? Because if I can see it, then we can be on the same page. If I can see it, then we can have a discussion about how to heal you from that. How that you can walk in perfect fellowship, not feeling like you have to hide away from your Heavenly Father. So how, how does this work? Um, if we look at David's response, really powerful and, and uh, coming up with these last three things. Here's, here's David's quick response. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Do you hear how many words he's saying with me, me, I? My sin, my iniquity. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, done what is evil in your sight, that you are justified. Listen, David, he's... he's taking this approach, transparency without excuses. David's just saying, God, I'm not going to play games because you already see everything that's happening in my life already. So I'm not going to explain away and, and try and make excuses for the things I'm saying, I'm doing, the way that I treat people or the, the way I respond to you. Whatever it might be, Lord, I'm just going to be completely open because God, you see it. You're not, you're not deceived by my actions, by my words, by my hidden things. Lord, you see it all. So he says, I just bring myself before you. I'm going to tell you everything, Lord, that's happening inside of me without excuses, without trying to justify it, without saying that I'm right for acting this way. There's repentance without fear. David just 
comes before God. He just says, before you and you alone have I sinned, God, you are justified in your judgments. You would not be wrong, God, for striking me down right now. David's just basically putting it all out there. He's like, nobody would blame you and I wouldn't blame you for holding against me all of my sins because you would be justified in doing so. And so David has this sense that I have to repent. It's, it's, I have no other option, Lord, of holding on to these things. I know you have authority and you could, blot, you could wipe me from this earth, but my fear isn't that, God. My fear isn't that you will destroy me. My fear is that I wouldn't change, that I would love these things too much, that I would hold on to my sin too much. And so David has this repentance without fear. He recognizes God's ability, his power, his awesomeness, but he also recognizes he's speaking to a God who is long-suffering, steadfast in his love, full of compassion, gracious and merciful, not wanting that any would perish, but sending his son to the cross so that forgiveness could flow to every human being. That's the type of God that David sees. He says, Lord, I bring before you my sin. And though I recognize you could punish me and you could speak harshly at me, God, I recognize that's not who you are. And so I come before you willing to repent, to declare what's wrong about my life so that I can get it right. And the last thing is responsibility without qualifications. Kind of goes with the first one, but I really want to hammer this home because how many times have I or you or somebody you know talked about something they did wrong? They know it was wrong. I know I shouldn't have done dot, 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 but, right? The comma, but here's my justification for doing so. I know I shouldn't have cussed that person out, but... I know I shouldn't have cut that relationship off, but I know I, you know, the, just keeps going on and on. The list of things that we say we have the right to do, and David's response to God is, listen, God, you are the one that I've sinned against, and I'm not going to qualify it. I'm not going to say, but Bathsheba was bathing where she shouldn't. She enticed me. Bathsheba was on the roof taking a bath, and really that wasn't appropriate, you know. God, it's your fault. You should have shielded my eyes so that I didn't see Bathsheba. God, you should have protected me. I'm disappointed with you, God, that you didn't protect me from that sin. Anyone? Have I accused God before of causing me to sin? Yes, I have. How many times do we qualify our actions before God. And here's the Holy Spirit saying, I want to go deeper in your life. I want you to know your Father unlike you've known Him before. But before we get there, it all has to be out in the open. Your life has to be completely yielded and transparent before me. Nothing hidden. Nothing gets protected. And I have the right to talk to you about anything. (laughs) Those are the conditions. That's discipleship. And you might say, I, you know, Andy, I'm not there. I just, I still feel unsafe at times. I'm not there to allow God to go there with me. I understand. Listen, he's, he's not trying to get it all out this morning. It's called discipleship. He wants to walk with you. And when he brings something up, 
when he brings something to the surface, when he reveals your heart in something, what he's saying is don't push it aside and say, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, I'll deal with it some other time. Oh, nobody knows, so it doesn't matter. No, no, no. When the Holy Spirit surfaces something in your life, he's saying that's the time to say, Lord, you see me and you know me better than anybody. What do you want to say to me about this area of my life?